The following audio is from Restoration Southside Church in Chattanooga, Tennessee, where our mission is to restore people and places through outreach, authenticity, and sacrifice. For more information, visit restorationsouthside.org. And there came out from the camp of the Philistines a champion named Goliath of Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span. He had a helmet of bronze on his head, and he was armed with a coat of mail. And the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of bronze, and he had a bronze armor on his legs and a javelin of bronze slung between his shoulders. The shaft of his spear was like a weaver's beam, and his spear's head weighed 600 shekels of iron. And his shield bearer went before him. He stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why have you come out to draw up for battle? Am I not a Philistine, and are you not a servant of Saul? Choose a man for yourselves, and let him come down to me. If he is able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. And the Philistine said, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man that we might fight together. When Saul and all of Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. And the men of Israel said, Have you seen this man who has come up? Surely he has come to defy Israel. And the king will enrich the man who kills him with great riches and give him his daughter and make his father's house free in Israel. And David said to the men who stood by him, What shall be done for the man who kills the Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? And the people answered him in the same way. So shall it be done to the man who kills him. Now Eliab was the oldest brother heard when he spoke to the men, and Eliab's anger was kindled against David, and he said, Who have you come down, and with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your presumption and the evil of your heart, for you have come down to see the battle. And David said, What have I done now? Was it not but a word? And he turned away from him toward another and spoke in the same way. And the people answered him again as before. When the words that David spoke were heard, They repeated them before Saul, and he sent for him. And David said to Saul, Let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with the Philistine. And Saul said to David, You are not able to go up against this Philistine to fight with him, for you are but a youth, and he has been a man of war from his youth. But David said to Saul, Your servant used to keep sheep for his father, and when there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. And if he rose against me, I caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears, and these uncircumcised Philistines shall be one of them, for he has defied the armies of the living God." And David said, The Lord who delivered me up from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. 
And Saul said to David, Go, and the Lord be with you. Then Saul clothed David with his armor. He put a helmet of bronze on his head and clothed him with a coat of mail, and David strapped his sword over his armor. And he tried in vain to go, for he had not tested them. Then David said to Saul, I cannot go with these, for I have not tested them. So David put them off. Then he took his staff in his hand and chose five smooth stones from the brook and put them in the shepherd's pouch. His sling was in his hand, and he approached the Philistine. And the Philistine moved toward forward and came near to David with his shield bearer in front of him. And when the Philistine looked and saw David, his disdained him, for he was but a youth, ruddy and handsome in presence. And the Philistine said to David, Am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David for by his gods. And the Philistine said to David, Come to me, and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. Then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you down and cut off your head. And I will give the dead bodies of the host of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel, and that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hand. When the Philistine arose and came and drew near to meet David, David ran quickly towards the battle line to meet the Philistine. And David put his hand in his back, his bag and took out a stone and slung it and struck the Philistine on his forehead. The stone sank into his forehead and he fell on his face to the ground. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and with a stone and struck the Philistine and killed him. There was no sword in the hand of David. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. If you're in kindergarten through fifth grade and you'd like to go to children's church, please join our volunteers in the back by the kids zone sign. If it's your child's first time, please go with them to get them signed in. Well, good morning. There's Mark. I'm on staff here. Should all thank Karis for reading that. Uh, the good news is that if you're trying to read through the Bible in a year, you just took out a very big chunk of that. So um, notes would be good. Uh, if you were to just go walk down the street and ask about 10 random people, hey, name three Bible stories. Um, I'm assuming that David and Goliath would be in a lot of those lists. And for the record, you should not just go ask random people how many Bible stories they know. Like, there's, there are better ways to tell people about Jesus than just pop that on them. But if someone is even remotely familiar with the story of David and Goliath, they would probably tell you that the point of this story is to be brave, right? Face your giants. But that's not what this story is about. Uh, be brave and face your giants might be a good motivational speech, but it's not what it's really talking about right here. And maybe that problem, it has to do more with reading the story from a children's book perspective, where it's not 50 verses, it's just a, a few things. But there is a huge chunk of this narrative that just talks about 
all the stuff that goes into the fight with David and Goliath. It's not just the action part of it. And so what is David's constant refrain that you hear? What's, what reason does he keep giving as to why Goliath will fall, even at the hands of this little shepherd boy that everybody thinks is hilarious that he's out there trying to fight him? What does David say? He says, Goliath has defied the armies of the living God. All right, so for 40 days, every day in the morning and at night, Goliath would come out and he'd stand before all the people and he'd mock them and he'd mock God. And our boy David would not let that happen. The name of the Lord was too precious to him. So every day Goliath would come out, this beast of a man that nobody wanted anything to do with. And he would make these lifelong soldiers, men who had been hardened by years of war, just tremble in their boots. And he would mock the Israelites and he'd mock God. And he's essentially trying to make it clear uh, that God had no power. Like this God of Israel, they all claimed, could do nothing to stop this beast of a man. We've seen over the past two weeks that Saul was chosen to be the king of Israel because he was taller than everyone. He was strong and handsome, and he thought very highly of himself. And so when we see Goliath, um, he's essentially Saul on steroids. Like It's very intentional in this narrative. Saul at least paid lip service to God, saying, I praise you, God. He would pray to him, but he would just really do whatever he wanted to do. Goliath straight up mocks God, and it's clear that his faith is in his own strength and his own abilities. You know who else talks about how amazing they are and how capable they are? Kanye West. I, I spent way too much time looking at Kanye West quotes because I know it's unfair. It's just low-hanging fruit, but it's, it's good to have a modern version of Goliath here. So here's some quotes. He said, for me, you know, I'm a creative genius, and there's no other way to word it. Or uh, 50 Cent is Eminem's favorite rapper. I'm my favorite rapper. This is my personal favorite. Kanye once said, my greatest pain in life is that I will never be able to see myself perform live. <laughs> Goliath, much like Kanye, had ultimate fate in himself. right? And by the standards of the day where strength and pride and bravado can take you really, really far, and where I'm assuming Goliath has never lost a fight, it makes sense that for him to trust only in himself. And so do we see that progression going from Saul, a head taller than everyone else, he's strong, he's handsome, he says some spiritual things, but in reality, he's just doing whatever he wants to do. He doesn't trust and obey God. And then we see Goliath, which is just Saul kind of magnified as a person. We see that? Um, do you see the message God is giving in this passage? He's saying, trusting in yourself and in your abilities leads to death. As capable and as impressive as so many of you are in this room, you will never be capable enough or impressive enough to stand on your own. You're human. You're limited. And that's not a sinful thing to be human and limited. But you and I were created to depend on God and to trust him and not in ourselves. Uh, so with that in mind, let me pray and then we'll jump in. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it's true. We thank you that even as a story that many of us know so well, and if we don't know it well, it seems very strange, uh, would you help us to see it with new eyes? Help us to see how beautiful and believable you are. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, at our staff meeting this week, we all, each week, we sit around the table and we talk about the passage for the next Sunday. It's rapidly becoming one of my favorite times of the week. Uh, but Marnie threw out a really good question that I think is helpful for us to sit with. She said, what do you guys think is the difference between competence and arrogance? 
being competent, and being arrogant. And I immediately thought about our musicians at Restoration. Uh, we have some phenomenal musicians and singers. They're led by a phenomenal musician and singer in Sammy. Uh, there's like 70 of them on the music team, I think. And I've never seen even a hint of arrogance out of those folks, which is really rare. If you know musicians, it seems like the better musician they are, kind of the more arrogant they are for whatever reason. Um, and there can be all kinds of reasons they, that they have this kind of humble confidence here. But one of the, the distinctives I've seen is that no one of them thinks that they're more important than the other person on the team, right? They work together. They're willing to be corrected. They actually listen when someone suggests that they do something a different way. In other words, they aren't led by fear, and they don't have to have a spotlight, right? They use their competence to benefit others as opposed to just themselves. Hold on to that thought. And think about Saul, and think about Goliath, right? Plenty of skill with both of those guys, but utterly arrogant, using their skill to build up themselves as opposed to others. And so when it comes time for Saul to do his job and fight Goliath, and he won't do it because he's too afraid, it's clear that he's just been trusting in his own strength and his own abilities. And then we see David. David has been caring for the sheep out in the pasture. He's been sent to the battlefront to bring his brothers some food and a check on them. And what is little David's response when he sees all these soldiers uh, being mocked by Goliath? He sees Goliath mocking God. Remember last week um, when David's own dad called him the runt of the family? Like you can assume that David would look really out of place on a battlefield. But David looks at his soldiers and he says, what the heck, guys? Right, so let me get this straight. So not only if you kill this guy who's profaning God, he's making a mockery of you, you get a bunch of money, you get the king's daughter as your wife, and you never have to pay taxes ever again. Like, why is nobody stepping up to do this? And from the text, it doesn't really seem like David is all that interested in the money, is he? I mean, he is zeroed in on God's glory and God's name. And so when David approaches Goliath, and Goliath starts cursing at David and making fun of him and his weapons of choice, I just want to point out, like, Goliath is just ready to kill this little boy who's coming at him with a slingshot, isn't he? Uh, this is verse 45. David says, you come to me with a sword and a spear and a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you down and cut off your head. It's very subtle, David. Uh, I guess he didn't like develop his poetic sensibilities until later in life when he started writing Psalms. But that's the point, isn't it? David's not trying to be subtle. Goliath has made a huge show for 40 days, mocking God, mocking his people. And so David wants to get everybody's attention so that it will be clear what's about to happen. It's not because David was just so good with a slingshot. It's because David is trusting God. God is going to give them the victory. If you're familiar with the, this point in Israel's history in the Old Testament, do you remember what God tells his people every time he sends them out to fight? Does he say, good luck, guys. You've trained really hard for this. You'll probably be fine. Just be brave and go face those giants. No, every single time God says, I know you're small in number. You're not the strongest. You're not great, but I will fight for you. I mean, God doesn't like boost them up or give them any kind of a pep talk. He's like, you guys, you really are kind of terrible, but I'll fight for you. I'll give you the victory. And even though God worked miraculously through his people and gave them victories when they should have been completely obliterated, they still wanted to be like everybody else and have a king who just looked the part. So if you, if you remember from a few weeks ago, that God gave his people Saul, the first king of Israel, 
They said, he's strong, he's handsome, we want him. And they said, fine. Uh, and what happened? This king that they wanted so badly to lead them, Saul just looked the part of a king. He does an okay job at first, but then he really just goes off the deep end. Uh, and he gets jealous of how everybody starts to like David more than him. He kills a couple priests who are protecting David. He's always like throwing spears at David, trying to kill him. Uh, but the first king, as the first king of Israel, it became very clear that Saul was steadily turning away from God and just pursuing his own agenda and his own desires as opposed to trusting God. And as the king, Saul's job was to rule his people kind of under God. He was supposed to represent the people to God as following God and kind of being this pinnacle of faith. And so what a contrast when we get to David, right? And if you don't already know, David becomes king after Saul. Spoiler alert. Last week, we saw that God had already anointed David to be the king of Israel. But the contrast is not, it's, it's in the fact that David's courage, it's not in himself. It's not that he's really good with a slingshot. He could be strong and courageous and go into this epic battle with his giant because he knew that God fights for his people. Like, especially in this particular time in Israel's history where God says, go fight these people, I will give you the victory. Like, there's no doubt in their mind. Look back at verses 33 through 36. David's volunteered to fight, and he's talking to Saul. And again, Saul is the actual king of Israel who should be fighting this, this fight, but he's too afraid. And Saul is talking to David and telling him that there's no way he can beat Goliath. It says, and Saul said to David, you are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you are but a youth, and he's been a man of war from his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant used to keep sheep for his father. When there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. And if he arose against me, I caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them, for he has defied the armies of the living God. In other words, Saul says, it's foolish. You're just a kid. Goliath has been a soldier since he's been a kid. If you go up against him, you're toast. And conventional wisdom says, Yes, that's good advice, Saul. Tell this kid not to go fight Goliath. What is David's response? I love it. He says, look, I'm a shepherd, which means if a lion or bear came after my sheep, I punch them in the face. And if they come at me, I kill them and I save my sheep. Love it. And David says, I've killed bears and lions and this blasphemous Philistine will be like the rest. And he drops the mic and goes into the ring. And if we stop there, then it would be that Sunday school lesson of be brave and face your giants, right? David was brave, you be brave too. Look at verse 37. What does David say? It says, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of the Philistine. Hear this because this translates directly to us today. David is calling on the past faithfulness of God to assure him of the future faithfulness of God. We see that David recalls how God has always been with him to assure him that God will continue to be with him. And y'all, this is why so much of the Old Testament is history. It's just God did this, then God did this, then God did this. That's why it's so important for us to tell our stories to each other. It's so important to tell your testimony. How did God grab a hold of you? What has God done in your life? David believes in a God who is faithful and that he does not fail his people no matter what no matter the present circumstances. And that doesn't mean that everything in your life is always going to go your way, right? The Bible is very clear that it's not going to go your way. 
Doesn't mean that you're always going to get your way or things are going to turn out the way you think, but it does mean that God is never absent from your life. He's never just leaves you to yourself. In chapter 16, right before our chapter this morning, if you're here last week, we saw God anointing David to be the next king of Israel. And all that means is that God sent his prophet Samuel to put some oil on David's head. And it's a lot like the story of Cinderella, if you're not familiar with it, with the glass slipper kind of trying on all the feet. Samuel, the prophet, goes to David's house and he sees Eliab, the first and oldest brother, and he's handsome, he's strong, and Samuel hasn't learned his lesson. He's like, this is the guy. He looks so good. And God says, no, it's not him. And they go through seven brothers before they finally get to David. And God says, yes, this little boy who's out smelling like sheep and grass, he's the next king of Israel. And this is, this is what God says to him. And these are, what, these are very good words to live by. After Samuel looks at the oldest brother, Eliab, and he says, this has to be him, God says, this is verse 7, do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. So what is really setting David apart here? Is it his bravery? Is it his strength? Is it his skill? Or is it having a heart that wants to please God before he pleases himself and before he pleases others? So David has these incredible promises from God, right? That he will one day be king. And David knows that God keeps his promises. So that even if he got in this tug of war match with a lion or a bear over a sheep, God would deliver David, right? God would give him victory because he had the promise to be with and never leave David. David had this amazing status of being called out by God, one that he's promised to take care of. And so it's that faith that enables David uh, to fearlessly step into the ring with Goliath. And again, it's not because David is so brave, uh, but he is fighting. He's not fighting Goliath because he wants to be famous. But look at verse 36 again. David tells Saul that Goliath will fall, not because David's so awesome or because he's so strong, but David will feed Goliath because Goliath has defied the armies of the living God. David basically tells Saul, and you and me today, that God's reputation is at stake here, and that matters to him, right? He says, in fact, it matters so much, I'm going to take this slingshot into the ring with this giant. And David can take a knife to a gunfight because he knows that it's actually God who's fighting for him. It's not him. David was furious, and he was so confused that none of these soldiers are doing what they're supposed to do, that none of them are trusting God to go fight, especially Saul, who was actually chosen to be king to go fight him. David's so wound up because God is being mocked and nobody's doing anything about it. And it's so interesting to hear, see, I think, as long as our passage was, and it was very long, the action parts of the story, like the slingshot and the head chopping, those are over very quick. We didn't even read the head chopping. That comes later if you want some fun lunchtime reading. Uh, David goes and grabs Goliath's swords and chops it off. Um, this would not be made in, like into a movie in our world, would it? I always think of the Hobbit movies, like one great book. They made it into three terrible action-packed movies. Uh, because again, the point of this story is not go face your giants or be brave like David. The point is God is a faithful, powerful God who fights for his people. He's called a people to be his own. He's promised to take care of them, and he fights on their behalf. And so what is your relationship to this God? Are you aligned with God? Are you trusting in God? Or are you against him? Are you trusting in yourself? If you were able to ask David what the point of the story was today, I think he'd be really ticked off if you called him the hero of the story. 
Right? David would not be a fan of the kind of children's story Bibles that spend all the time talking about how awesome and cool David was, how we just need to be like David. God is the hero of the story. And the whole point of the story is that God is able to save not through human strength and power and skill, but God is actually able to save through weakness. And that theme of God saving through weakness, you're going to see it over and over again in the Old Testament, and you're going to see its fulfillment in Jesus Christ. David can look back at the anointed king, kind of fighting lions and bears, oh my, and seeing God's past faithfulness is going to keep him faithful in the future. And surely you and I can do that in our own lives, right? We can see how God has worked in our lives. We can read the stories of his faithfulness in the Old Testament. But you and I have something infinitely more powerful and infinitely just better to look back on. We can look back to Jesus, right? The greatest deliverance that God has ever given to his people because on the cross, Jesus delivered his people from death. Amen? And if David was unimpressive and unlikely and kind of came out of left field, Jesus was even more unimpressive. David died in his old age, surrounded by his family and friends as king of overall Israel. Jesus died in his 30s on a cross. And if you grew up in the church and you've heard the story so many times that it just doesn't quite hit you like it should, uh, if you're here this morning, you're investigating Christianity, maybe this is new to you, you're just starting to read the Bible, you're in an advantage here because you're, you're going to see just how humiliated Jesus was, just how low Jesus went for us. Uh, in the book of Deuteronomy, God says this weird thing. He says, cursed is anyone who dies on a tree. Being hung on a tree was reserved for the worst of offenders. Jesus lived a life of poverty. He spent his whole time caring for others. Jesus is God himself come in the flesh, and yet he barely makes it into his 30s before he is claimed guilty. He's stripped, he's mocked, he's beaten, and he's nailed to a tree. And so in the New Testament, as Paul is going around writing letters to churches, explaining who Jesus is and why we need to worship him, he has to deal with that verse, that cursed is anyone who is hung on a tree. And so we see exactly how God brings salvation through weakness. As Paul says in Galatians 3, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. Jesus was cursed for us. Right? We are the ones who have got, gone against the God of the universe. You and I are the ones who deserve separation from God and his goodness. It's what the Bible calls hell. And yet in his infinite kindness and mercy, Jesus allows himself to be cursed. Jesus allows himself to be cut off from God. David's love for God led him into the ring to fight Goliath. Jesus' love for the Father led him to a cross. Right? Through David, God's people were delivered from their enemies. Through Jesus, you and I are delivered from the last enemy, death. You and I deserve separation from God because of how we've gone against him. Right? Because of all the times we've said to God, not your will, God, but my will. I'm going to do whatever I want. But while we were still his enemies, Christ died for us. And he's on the cross. He said, Father, not my will, but your will be done. God's power is made perfect in weakness. And you and I don't like to know our weakness, do we? We really like to be in control of things. Uh, even if you believe God, you trust the Bible, you trust Scripture, uh, you would much rather know exactly what God is doing in your life. Right? I would love to know the next 15 years of my life exactly what God's going to do, exactly how it's all going to work out. Wouldn't that be nice? But the point of David and Goliath and the point of having so much history in our Bibles 
is that God delights in using the unexpected to bring deliverance and salvation. God delights in using the weak, the younger brother, the prostitute, the poor, the sick, those without power and prestige. God does not work the way you think he should, and that's the point. Because he calls you to trust him, not agree with his methods. When Goliath was taunting the Israelites and he's taunting God, not a person there was like, you know, what we really need? This shepherd boy. We need a shepherd kid with a slingshot to come and save us. That's exactly what we need. Surely that's how God's going to do it. Nobody saw him coming. And absolutely nobody saw Jesus coming. This blue-collar carpenter's son from a no-name town who hung out with the poor and the sick and the social outcasts. His closest friends were like fishermen and tax collectors. Jesus shunned every opportunity to take any kind of earthly power and control. It seemed like Jesus enjoyed like ticking off the powerful and the wealthy. God does not want you to know the plans he has for your life. God wants you to trust him. God wants you to know him. He wants you to put your hope in him. I'm saying this just as much to myself as anybody else, but what would our lives look like if we spent less time worrying about how everything is going to work out and how we got to get this, this, this in line? Well, how differently would our lives look if we didn't worry about those things, but we spent more time getting to know God and who he is and how he works? That's what this story is about. A faithful God who sends someone to fight for his people. A faithful God who rescues his people from this unbeatable enemy. On the cross, Jesus became a curse for you. He took the sting of death itself, and after he rose again from the dead three days later, he broke the power of death over you. Friends, there is life in Jesus. There is a lack of hope in Jesus. Because even if something in this life takes you down, Jesus has defeated death, and he promises you a new creation and a world without death or sadness or pain. Amen? Man, that's an invitation. Let me pray. Father, we are a fearful people. We worry about so many things, and we can be so wound up over one thing one week and not think about it again for five more years. And so would you cast out our fears with your perfect love, with your perfect power and strength? Would you keep our eyes on you when things seem like they're coming our way to just devastate us and take us out and unravel all of our plans. Lord, your plans are so much better than ours. So whatever comes our way, would you help us to trust you, that you fight for your people, and that you have won the ultimate victory? Well, for those here and for our friends and family who don't know you, uh, would you use us and our stories to be... So whatever comes our way, would you help us to trust you, that you fight for your people, and that you have won the ultimate victory. Well, for those here and for our friends and family who don't know you, uh, would you use us and our stories to be...